Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Back to the LARCast. Cheers to all of you who are tuning in. If you are new, my name's Tony. I'm the one that's got the the Midwestern um, <laughs> accent. Uh, I, I overpronounce my eh. Where are you at? <laughs> Welcome back to the LARCast. That's me. I'm Tony. Chicago and, Midwestern. Yeah, normally I'm jo- joined by, by Russ. But Russ was was unavailable to podcast this week. He's in Atlanta uh, for some meetings, some very important meetings. He's probably wearing a shirt with buttons on it uh, right now. He, I would. They're well, buttoned. Have, they are buttoned. <laughs> to be clear, buttoned buttons. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's in it. He's in Atlanta, so maybe he's you know got just the top button undone. Usually, when he's in Florida, he's got the top two undone. He's got right. that Florida like that opened up. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, those vibes going on, those those flow grown vibes going on. But Russ is not here. So, Jameson, a lot of people don't know you're the third member of the Lark team, man. And I'm the and newest. You're the newest. And this is your first time on the Lark cast. Dude, yeah, welcome, man. bro. Thank you. I'm a baby podcaster, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about this, man. I'm glad you're on. Um, I love learning from you. Um, as someone who's been on this team for around six years with you jumping in the last, you know, or like, right, like it's been a little bit, just a little bit over a year, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So when did you like officially join the, the crew, the LART crew? Day one was officially September 1st of 2020. Okay. And yeah, so we're a little over a year. Yeah. Sweet, man. Sweet. If you have been reading uh, the LARC blog, um, listening to the broadcast, uh, Jameson's been pretty much owning that, running that, a bunch of good content over there. And then the other thing that you do in the team is you're really just like being a friend to all these people who are coming in and around the conversation with Lark. Yeah, definitely. And we, uh, if you haven't heard much of our story, my wife and I have four kids nine and under, and we moved into a travel trailer. So we live in a camper. We're on the road. We don't have a mortgage, uh, but we did that so that we could come and see and be with people and hear the long version of people's stories because I've discovered in uh, over 10 years of ministry that it's really hard to encourage someone that you don't know. Hmm. And it's hard to build trust without spending time with people, right? Um, and I think as we talk about Jesus, we would talk about grace. We talk about what it means for the, the gospel to go out into the world, um, especially in light of where so many people are at right now and how hard it is, um, whether they're in a church or feeling like they have to leave a church or, or wherever they're at. Yeah. Um, experiencing that story, you just need presence. You need to, totally the, the withness. And mm-hmm. so we're taking a couple of years to just get into people's towns and park our camper and they don't have to put us up and we can just hang out when they're available and not have to cram it all into 
like 18 hours and airfare and hotels and extra food and everything. Right. So. You know, I remember first meeting Russ in 2014 and in a lot of ways, he was that for me. I met him at a conference and continued a conversation over phone and text and all that kind of stuff. And he was just like, dude, I'm going to fly to come hang with you and some of the people who are asking some of the same questions. I'm like, you're going to fly out <laughs> <laughs> to just like, you know, come hang with me. And up until then, you know, I didn't really like experience that sort of like, you know, friendship, especially like in the like leader world. And, um, I just, it meant so much to me in a lot of ways. I think that same, that same spirit, that same willingness to just jump in and just see this thing as just a, a series of friendships and yes. people who are on the way, you know what I'm saying? And processing, um, along the way. And we're a small team. We can't be everything for everybody, but as much as we can, uh, we are trying to do that in person. I think that's really the spirit of the Lark tour. We're starting to put dates and, and get trips uh, together for next year. Um, but also some of the online spaces that we've created and just some of the national friendships that we've, we formed and you in large part are kind of like giving leadership to that. You're spending most of your time doing that. So man, I know people who listen to this podcast who appreciate you, bro. So I just want to say in front of everybody that we, the whole Lark family appreciate you, man. And we're so glad that you're, you're here. So dude, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. You're very, very welcome, man. So, okay. So, uh, shifting into our conversation today, uh, if you've been, if you're caught up, you know, that when we finished the parables, we kind of wanted to hear from you. We wanted to hear from the people who have been tracking with this conversation. And in a lot of ways, after processing through the parables, we wanted to kind of know like where you're at, what are the questions that you have? And we came up with this idea, like, dude, let's put the Larkcast in your hands. Tell us where you want to go. What are the questions? What's the feedback? The first few podcasts we did in the sense we kind of handed everything over to everybody has been, I think, some of the usual questions we get, misconceptions about grace, or some of the ways we're kind of like, okay, grace, I like it, but what about change? And what about discipleship? What about personal holiness? And what about transformation? So the first few podcasts were on that misconceptions of grace. And then also this idea of transformation beyond those things. One of the biggest things that we got from everybody wasn't necessarily related to the parables in particular, but it was on this idea of, of deconstruction. Right. And so this is a massive topic with a lot of nuance, but yet when people replied with topics for us to talk about, they just simply typed deconstruction one one word, word. one <laughs> word yeah. and it's just like and just by way of introduction this is where we're at with it right it's so widespread that we've created a junk drawer term to throw every and any bit of doubting questioning rethinking and shifting all into one big bucket and we're calling it deconstruction and yet it's such a nuanced thing that it deserves much more careful and thoughtful conversation. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I don't know where you want to start. I was hoping you would just deconstruct deconstruction mm. in like five minutes. Yeah. 
just lay yeah. it all out there and fix it for everybody. Um, right? Because we need answers. We absolutely no, I think, need answers. I think a lay of the land. Why is it nuanced? I guess you know, because that that I think is is something that was kind of hard to see at first. Um, and so, if people are watching this and they're walking through any level of or dimension of deconstruction, it might be really helpful just to start with like, okay, you say it's nuanced. Like, what do you mean? Sure. Yeah, I would say um, here here's a phrase I've been using: not all deconstruction is created equal. The things I was questioning or the things I was rethinking centered primarily on the gospel. I understood atonement from a certain vantage point, um, but I began to rethink um, how good is this good news? I thought I had a pretty deep understanding of the cross, but I began to kind of like rethink how, how wide, how broad it was the scope of right his work. And for me, it was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. When I heard Robert Capon's breakdown of that parable, and I and also with that paired with the reality, the growing reality of spirituality in the West, that upwards of 70% of society is not interested in the church as it exists. They're not coming on Sunday mornings to learn or to have this conversation. That 96% of church growth is transfer growth. And the insane amount of money that we are spending in the church in the U.S. per baptism or conversion, right, versus like other places that don't have the same resources. That was the cocktail for me that began me rethinking, I think good news is gooder than what I originally thought it to be. Um, And I wonder if this model is the best model if we really truly want to see a movement of this good news to get to the people who are outside and uninterested in the church. It was an encounter with good news and an understanding um, that dude, if I really, if we really want to see a movement of good news, we like, we need to seriously spend our time in different ways. Um, so that's the thing that, that started with me. And I'll tell you, this will be the last thing I'll, I'll say, and I'll pass it off to you is that, um, because of the church I was at was pretty successful in our region. We were shielded to, I think a lot of the ugly realities of spirituality in the West. Cause we were like, dude, business is good. We're like adding numbers and we're like building buildings and we're adding staff and like all these kinds of things. And so when other people were like, yo, like, man, like it's pretty ugly out there in terms of where people are at with faith. We're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, business is real good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a level of like blindness <laughs> when you are having success that mm-hmm. keeps you from seeing what's going on around you. And I saw, I forget exactly where I read this, but someone was saying like, you know, those churches that didn't flop amidst COVID and actually started like, like gaining numbers and gaining traction. Um, they're exceptions to a rule and exceptions to rules don't change rules. (laughs) Like we still have to address what's going on by and large. Right. And one of the things going on by and large is in 2020, 
um, what is the stat? Almost in 2020 alone, 22% of churched adults have stopped going to in-person or online church. And from what we can see with 2021 numbers is that that trend didn't, hasn't slowed down much. You know, it remains to be seen, obviously, but uh, it's, there's something going on there. And, you know, when you're talking about deconstruction, you're either asking the question, what is the church? What is the Bible? How does the church be with and in the world? And there's like, there's just so many questions surrounding all of those questions. But if you end up unpacking those and really diving in and deep thought and reading, um, you end up starting to feel really disrupted or disenchanted, I guess. And for me, what happened, a couple key things, right? I went to the Moody Bible Institute to get a, a bachelor's in Bible, just studying the Bible for four years in college. And one of the papers I had to write was on women in ministry and a subject I knew nothing about. I didn't even know how to write papers at that point. <laughs> um, but I got through the end of that project and my sister had just recently been told she could not lead worship at her church. But she could sing and play guitar. And so I was like, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, she's an incredible musician, leader, the whole package. Right. Okay. And so I was like, I feel like there's something missing here. And mm -hmm. so I was like, there's personal reason to, to dig into this. And so I got to the end of the paper and I was like, well, based on all the authors I had access to and knew to knew how to find, I don't know how to come to a different conclusion, but something's missing and it's not satisfying because their arguments are, they're not bulletproof, at least not bulletproof enough to say, Hey, half the church can't lead the church. And that started me down this line of questioning, like, what exactly is the Bible and how do we use it? And how mm. does it determine what the church is and does? And when you ask that question, um, if you don't have some, some guidance and community to process with, it will really wreck things for you. Mm. Maybe. Not everybody. And, and for me, that was tough. The second major thing that happened to me was being in ministry, you know, pastoral ministry. I got ordained as an elder in 2013. And for about seven years, I was, my wife and I, we filled our home, you know, week in and week out with people trying to just spend time together and figure out along the way, how do we help other people, especially those in our church, right? believe the gospel. I want them to see how good Jesus is. I want them to actually trust him. Hmm. I want them to feel like they can trust him. <laughs> and I don't know how they're going to get to that point without a whole lot of time where you're just free to be there. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that happened to me a lot was, you know, we'd, we'd be sitting there, we'd have anywhere from two to 40 people in our living room and dining room uh, with kids running around and all this stuff. We'd be an hour and a half in and like food's still on the table. People are laughing in every corner of the room and, and hanging out. Someone walks up to me and they're like, Hey, when are we going to start? <laughs> Dude, I love that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, at first I'm like, what do you mean? When we, we started an hour and a half ago, like the minute you walked in the door and we all just like, we slammed on dinner 
and we're drinking good drinks. I hear a ton of good conversation and mm. friendship is happening. Right. Like what exactly is it you're hoping for us to do to make you feel like we've started? And it always came down to, are we going to read the Bible or pray? Mm. Which I'm for, man, believe me, I had plenty of planned nights where we would do stuff like that. But the number of times that I just focused on relationship and without a plan, like I don't even announce it at the beginning, like people show up and I'm not like, Hey everybody, it's just friendship night. (laughs) Like, no, we're going to just eat food and have fun and and be there for each. And sometimes you end up crying. Sometimes you end up praying. Sometimes you end up laughing or watching a football game. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started to realize that or feel a huge tension between me and the other leaders at the church I was at, because that was, mm. that was not a thing that they participated in. Uh, and, and on some level I was led to believe it's like, well, it's just personality difference, man. Um, but we ended up sp- spending more and more time and focus on what's the vision of our church. What's the mission? How are we going to work it out? And how do we get our sermons to just become even better and better. Let's preach, let's preach, let's make these sermon series. You know, we'd spend so much time building them out and which I love preaching. I love the experience and the moment of it um, and the gathered church, you know, but it just started to go like this. I was like, but we, we're, well, what about being with these people? Right. And I felt so out of place by the time I left because it didn't seem it didn't feel at all like anyone was was doing the work of of friendship and relationship with the people we're trying to lead hmm. and preach to. And I saw that as a huge disconnect and it, and it really ended up making me feel like, what is this then? Like, yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm not sure I can can buy into all of that. So like yeah. that was where it yeah. kind of went and led and started for me. Again, so not all deconstruction is created equal. Like you listen to us tell our stories and it's two dudes who are on staff at churches. I will say the most of the people that I'm talking to that are really asking hard questions are were in our same in the same vein. Either they were full time vocational leaders or they were very, very involved lay leaders. And I think they have very similar experiences. They're seeing this massive gap between all this superfluous um, institutional, you know what I'm saying? Conversation and Sunday and the machine and all the dollars and all that versus just actual, the thing that makes their like heart jump out of their chest, which is the, their ability to just be a friend to someone. And they're watching all this stuff in the name of church, pull them away from those conversations. So contrast, like what we're talking about with say, let's take um, like a very popular name in the deconstruction conversation, Joshua Harris, Joshua Harris. If you haven't listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, one of the bonus episodes is I kiss Christianity. Goodbye where Mike Cosper does a dive into Harris's story and actually has a conversation with Harris in the middle of the podcast. It's a fascinating episode. And I would venture to say, if you're tuning into the Lark cast, you've probably have heard of the rise of fall of Mars Hill podcast, 
Um, in fact, that was one of the things people wanted us to talk about when we put out Larkas is in your hand. But as I listened to Harris's story, one of the things, well, it was a, it was a cr- insane mix of things that led him to his eventually stepping away from being the lead pastor at his church. Um, but one of the things was the negative impact that his book, I kiss dating goodbye was having on people. It was the fear, the terror that maybe he had handed something unhelpful and hurtful to people. So not all deconstructions created the same. And I think like on that point, there's something odd and interesting to me and and fair. Like I, I in no way am judging that, but but For why sure. is it that like can we be honest about the the reality that the deconstruction started when he started to consider what he was doing and that caused him to question an ancient faith. It caused him to question something that if it's true, like it's not dependent on whether or not you believe it. <laughs> right. Uh, and so there's a narcissism in each of us about how we feel about this thing, what we can know about this thing, this God, this faith, this, this tradition that we've been handed. Um, and this is a popular entry point for deconstruction. I think it's a really common one. And that's that, that Harris story. Like I, I can't make sense of what I've done. Hmm. So therefore I can't make sense of God. And I just want to say like, that's okay, but you're free from God's love and reality and goodness being dependent on you working it out or proving it or showing it as good as it needs to be. Like it's not ever been on you to verify (laughs) that God is who he said he is, uh, or that the gospel is true. Um, and, and I think that one of the main problems here in this entire conversation, no matter where you have an entry point into deconstruction is that you don't allow the mystery to remain a mystery. Hmm. Like the mystery of God is not something to figure out. And I think we have to let that one sink in because if if you approach this whole conversation, if the end of your deconstruction road, if the hope for you in deconstructing is to feel really clear and to feel really uh, good about your understanding of everything, God and reality and how it relates to people and what they do, um, I think you're going to be disappointed. Hmm. Because if God is at all what scriptures reveal him as, then he's by definition a mystery because we're create we're creatures, meaning he fashioned us out of nothing <laughs> to be like to be recipients of his love, to be recipients of his delight. So mm. anyway, I think that like watching Joshua Harris's story unfold in that, uh, it is fascinating, and I love his honesty. I'm torn on the, the public nature of everything, right? Like every single turn of his journey is publicized and then followed. And then it like, he goes back on it. Um, 
and that part of it, I'm like, it's cool to see that happen. It's, it's nice to be able to see it for once. Right. But also on the other hand, it's like there and the Cosper called that out a little bit. Like our, is, is the celebrity nature of, of doing your deconstruction publicly. And then as a leader, like, what does it mean to have a leader in deconstruction? I thought the most fascinating part of that interview was when Cosper asked him, he goes, um, it was this really cool law gospel moment. And he goes, as much as we, as much as you probably said the word gospel from the pulpit, as much as we said, we were like these gospel dudes, we were about good news there there. If we're honest, like there was actually still a lot of law and performance at work in our churches. Mm-hmm. Once we saw the, the ugly fruit of performance and law and we saw it and we couldn't deny it. It was real. We saw, we saw the results of it in other people in Cosper said, should that not have led you to see that you needed the gospel all the more Hmm. to press further into the good news to awaken you like, Oh man, maybe as much as I say this word gospel, it's, it's reality is probably really not at play here. And we have a lot of performance and law masked under the guise of having a gospel centered culture or a gospelized uh, culture or asking this question more than actually pronouncing the gospel and letting it sit there. Well, what does the gospel, what does the gospel say about this? What does it imply that we ought to be doing? What is the response of, of the gospel? Which I think those are great questions, Mm -hmm. but um, he goes in Cosper said, it seems to me that this shift into um, rethinking everything and providing another pathway into certainty or into better outcomes is just another expression of the law. So, yeah, I just thought that was like pretty, pretty fascinating. So I wonder if a lot of deconstruction is we're really seeing, oh, okay, well, the gospel didn't, didn't create this better version of me or this better church or this better community or this better culture. And you think it's actually like the good news of Jesus, but really all it is, is just a bunch of just knowledge chasing it's just Genesis two all over again with like gospel <laughs> labels slapped on it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then you just shift farther into law, trying to find the next thing that's going to fix you, the people you care about or whatever. And so we go to try to find the next thing that we can put a dot on its eye and, and, and a cross on its lowercase T. Yeah. And I, so I, the blog I put out last week was about Galileo. And kind of what we do with that story. And if you're if you're not familiar or don't remember, Galileo's the guy who was the first to publish an actual worked out argument for why the earth orbits the sun versus the other way around, right? So common knowledge at that point was everything orbits the, the earth. It's a, uh, what's it called? Like just an earth-centric universe, essentially, which given the day and age, what else could we expect them to think and believe? 
um, he comes along and he's like, I can prove it. <laughs> Everything orbits the sun. Galileo was a believer in, you know, the, the Roman Catholic church ended up forcing him to recant. And so if he hadn't recanted, they would have tortured him, if not uh, executed him. And he was pretty old. So they were like, you can, you can spend the rest of your life on house arrest. You don't have to go into prison um, because this view is heretical. It Heresy. does not square with the doctrines of our church and the interpret our interpretations of the Bible, the scriptures. So what you see going on there is this, this way of dealing with truth, this way of dealing with reality and you have scripture as a source of truth and you have like observation in our senses and science and all of the ways that we learn what we learn and the church uh, at the end of that story like they they rejected it um later on they finally recanted it and it was only in the last i forget what i saw like they just in the last century finally like absolved him so he's good <laughs> uh, galileo is good now he's in the clear but it took a while as i was thinking through this one of the things that i i put in that blog piece was exclusion is not the work of christ and i think that you guys have been saying that over and over right with the parables um in the reality that these parables just about every single one of them start with all of the characters in the story are included, mm -hmm. right? And end up for all intents and purposes, choosing exclusion. Um, and I think that when you look at what happened with Galileo, we see like, and like today we're looking at it, we're like, yeah, like that was stupid. <laughs> Can't believe that they thought he was wrong. Can't um, believe we would I, just cancel somebody for something so silly. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, man, I don't know. Like I probably would have done the same thing. If I was mm. leading that church in that, like the chronological snobbery that we have, <laughs> this idea that like, because we're living in the present moment in modern times, we somehow know better than they did about their time is yeah. it's kind of scary. Um, that hindsight always equals, you know, that hindsight is always 2020. Right. Or that that even matters. <laughs> like, because I can figure it out now that I would have been able to figure it out then or anything like that. Like, the point I'm just trying to make is that what we do with that story is we either judge the Catholic church for being mean or whatever, uh, <laughs> or like, we're just in this space of like, what do we do then when discoveries don't line up with what we have been told via scripture or tradition is actually true. Right. And I think there's things we haven't learned from how that whole thing went down with Galileo. I think that there's things the church hasn't learned about how to deal with situations similar to that. And that's kind of part of what I mean with mystery and with, with God being this supreme, omnipresent, all powerful, like he's not just another item or noun person, place or thing that exists in reality. He's actually the very fabric holding it all together. He is reality. <laughs> well, we were talking pre-show. Like, um, if you wanted uh, biblical proof, 
uh, to like label Jesus as a heretic or that he was going against the scriptures or the writings of Moses. Like you had, you had plenty like last night in our community, my wife made this killer point when we were in Luke 14, uh, Jesus is like, unless you hate uh, mother, father, brother, and sister more than me, you can't be my disciple. Now we get into that passage in reclaim three. It's not really a call to, um, you know, next level Christianity. Jesus is challenging a point of righteousness based on lineage. If you knew anything about the 10 commandments, you would be like, you just told me to break the fourth commandment to honor my father and mother. In fact, you told me to hate my father and my mother. You know what I'm saying? And it's stuff like that, where Jesus is undermining this idea of the temple. And he's saying something greater than the temple is standing right before you, bro. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> Freaking Solomon built this. This is like the very place where we come and meet God. If you wanted to label him a heretic, you'd have had plenty of opportunity, you know, to do that. Yep. And the fact that we think we can, should, or need to is, is kind of in and of itself a bit of a problem, you know, and the fact that friendship seems to be the last thing uh, that the Roman Catholic church was, was known for in that era. Um, not to say that the people that went to church weren't good friends to their neighbors. Um, and there's lots of stories, obviously of people doing amazing uh, things. Um, but friendship just, you know, like Galileo, he's a, he's a dude who proposed a, a theory and, we're going to have to like make him live in his house the rest of his life because he thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the points that I'm trying to make is that we still do the same thing. When someone starts deconstructing what we've always taken for granted, when they start asking questions about things that we always thought we knew, it's hard not to question them. Hmm. It's hard not to say you're not being faithful. It's hard not to be in that situation and be like, it's not safe for me to be around you. Um, and all of that lumped up into a pile together, I think just, just reveals that we're not trusting Jesus or what the scriptures reveal about him. We're actually trusting this pursuit of certainty that we have. This idea that we can find the answers and that if we think we have the answers, then we can act like it and we can include or exclude based on those answers. Explain what you mean by mystery to what degree, what categories you think it's okay to, you know what I'm saying? Not, I get the spirit of exclusion, but somebody who's got a systematic theology book sitting on their nightstand is probably really freaking out, you know, right now. Because they have not only the central things they think nailed down, but the secondary things nailed down, the tertiary things nailed down, and even things like way beyond beyond that. When you say mystery, just for the sake of our listeners, like what are we like what are we talking about? Yeah. One thing I'm not saying, at least not necessarily, is what well, I think we've heard a lot, or at least I have in church context, is that well. God is so far above us. Like we just, anything we don't understand, we can just write it off to write it off on that. Like he's, he's so far, his ways are so far above our ways. 
that actually can be more of a cop-out, I think, um, from actually dealing with what's right in front of us. If God is supreme, if God is all of those big theological words about he's, he's everywhere, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's in him we live and move and have our being, like all of those things to me are hope filling hopeful in a way, because I start to realize like, okay, then that means if Jesus is what God is really like, if he's the revelation insofar as we can have, or we have the like bandwidth to understand and perceive, like he came to our level to show us that Mm -hmm. what, what I see in scripture and what I see in, in the theology of, who God is, is like, but he's so much more. Mm. And that's, that's great. That's fine. It frees me up to not feel like answers are what I need. Mm. Wisdom is what we need. And wisdom is very different than answers. All that means is that he is so much more than I'll ever be able to internalize, interpret, articulate. Uh, And it'd be kind of weird if that wasn't true. What would be the point of all of this? If that yeah. wasn't true, you know, I think for my story, it's like I found myself less and less needing to dot eyes and cross T's on a bunch of other various different things. As I started to press more into the center, no one can understand God, but the only God who is at the father's side has come to make him known. He's coming to review. He's come to tell us what is God like? And he does it in these like real vivid ways, right? in in parables these stories and when you interpret them in light of the finished work when you interpret them in light of what god is doing getting us back to trusting adam and eve lost faith in the garden by jesus doing everything saving us single-handedly he's getting us back to trusting that is really the only conversation i want to have with people Mm. And Paul saying, man, I really determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Like I get that even more. Hmm. And I understand that Paul had to speak to a number of different things, you know, culture that were going on, or at least he felt the pressure to right. Really like have these conversations and have, you know, this dialogue. But I think if left to himself, Paul really wanted to just talk about Christ and him crucified. Like that was the center of the conversation. And here we are, we're questioning all kinds of different things. And because we've packaged all these things as like, no, you need to believe every bit of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, and I can't believe I'm about to say this on a podcast. It's almost like Rob Bell had a really, really good point back when he wrote Velvet Elvis about the you know, theology as bricks in the wall. Um, I just think he used a real crappy example in the virgin birth. <laughs> he could have used a, I think he could have used a better example there. Maybe we would have, um, you know, listened a little bit, a little bit more, but it's like, as soon as one of those things begins to unravel, I'm watching people just walk away from every, I'm watching people walk away from Jesus of Nazareth because they, they came to see, well, man, maybe women can have positions of leadership and authority in the scriptures, or maybe the Bible isn't inerrant. Like I thought it was, or maybe it wasn't inspired. Like I thought it was now we're just like, I'm just going to punt on all of it. I've had people reach out to me um, and say, you know what, man, like I'm on the verge of, 
you know, agnosticism. I'm about to walk away from all this. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, like what's going on? And it's like, you know, between uh, evangelical support of Trump and why anybody would listen to Mark Driscoll in the first place, it has me just beside myself. Like I'm, I'm on the verge of agnosticism. I can get the disconnects there. I wrestle with some of those things, but <laughs> because, because your mom and dad voted for Donald Trump because Mark Driscoll was a listen to, you know, celebrity pastor and had massive influence. It doesn't mean Jesus didn't walk out of a tomb. <laughs> you yeah, know what right. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like what are, like, what are we really talking about here? And yeah. it's like when one part of it begins to crumble, then we question the center. We right. question the very cornerstone. So one little piece, like a, like a chip in the paint on the building, right? You start to notice a little chip in the paint and all of a sudden you're questioning the cornerstone. Like, I don't understand. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like, what is going on there? And I'm not saying like I was with it or smart enough or whatever, but I think I had a sense in the middle of questioning a lot of things around Jesus or even rethinking his words or even reconsidering the scope, the nature, the beauty of what it means that it is finished. I had the sense of just like the only thing that still made sense was like, I still believe Jesus was a historical person who really died, who really rose again. Like there were times in my rethinking that that was the only thing I could anchor myself to. Right. And it pushed me through a lot of different things that I was considering. So Jamie, what do you, what do you think that is? What is that phenomena of like noticing a chip of paint on the second story of a building? And all of a sudden we're questioning the very cornerstone. All right. Well, that seemed to be a decent time to pause this conversation. As Jameson and I got into talking about deconstruction, the conversation actually went about an hour and a half. So to spare you a 90 minute episode, we're just going to go ahead and pause it there. And we're going to pick it up with part two next week. Still a ton of good content. And um, yeah, we just encourage you guys to tune in next week as we bring you part two of dishing on deconstruction. So as always, thanks for tuning into the Larkast and cheers. Cheers.